From the high desert in Far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Hi, I'm Robert Seidman. Thanks for listening. And joining me today is John Lewis of the great sportsmediawatch.com. You know him as at Paulson, that's P-A-U-L-S-E-N underscore S-M-W on Twitter. John, welcome to the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Hey, thanks for having me. So uh, this week, lots of news on the, uh, the fringe sports landscape uh, with various TV rights changing hands and uh, probably the Indy 500 leaving ABC uh, after 53 years might have grabbed most of the headlines, uh, but uh, PBA is also on the move and uh, we'll get some broadcast shine, broadcast network shine for the first time in a while. So uh, F1, IndyCar, PBA, rugby, uh, what intrigued you the most this past week? Well, I think, you know, IndyCar, uh, just because it's the biggest one, uh, you know, the consolidation of the TV deal, I think, is going to be significant. And, yeah, NBC has a reputation for taking the things that ESPN and ABC kind of leave languishing and making them big events again. We saw that with uh, the horse racing, the Triple Crown, right? Uh, which, you know, went from something that was kind of on its last legs a bit with ABC toward the end of the 90s and became something much bigger on NBC. Do I think that they can pull that off with IndyCar? It'll be more difficult because I think auto racing in general is facing much more difficult, you know, trends than the other sports. I think that car culture doesn't matter as much to younger people. I mean, that's maybe a little bit of, you know, going off, you know, maybe being a little bit uh, reading too much into what's going on. But I mean, that would be the only explanation to me as to why IndyCar and NASCAR both had these decades-long declines yep. with no real, you know, turnaround imminent. Every other sport, even if they go down for seven to eight years, bounces back. Right. We haven't seen that with IndyCar and NASCAR. So I think there's something bigger going on there with those sports. But, uh, you know, going to NBC, you could see at the very least maybe half a, half a point you know, over the next few years, added back to the uh, Indy 500 audience because NBC does tend to have that effect with all the promotion that they do. Right, and all the shoulder programming. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's it's an interesting thing. I mean, so, I, you know, I don't, and I'm an old man, I don't remember IndyCar racing in general ever being a huge TV sport, but, uh, but the Indy 500 was iconic, and it was a big, big deal on Memorial Day. And uh, I wonder if I'm just I'm just nostalgic for uh, those bygone days when when people just actually cared and it was a thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things that's always interesting to me looking back at the old numbers is when you look back at the old numbers, they all look huge, right? But of course, if you look at the old numbers and put them into context of what a rerun of you know I don't know a small wonder was doing at yep. that time, it probably wouldn't look that great. Yep. So, you know, with IndyCar, they were getting, you know, 10s and 12s and 13s back then. And uh, frankly, this year is probably doing better relative to primetime TV than it was back in those days. So yeah. that's always something to keep in mind. Um, you know, but uh, the sense that it was a bigger deal, I mean, everything seemed like a bigger deal back then, though. <laughs> you know, fixating, uh, you know, uh, all these sports that have kind of fallen off boxing, obviously, they all seemed much bigger at a time when you only had you know, three channels and uh, cable wasn't as big of a factor. I think that that probably was a big, a big driving force behind that. Yeah, that uh, that makes a lot of sense. So, um, 
I, I didn't actually see uh, the ratings for last night's games yet, but uh, through the through the first weekend, uh, given the the carnage where I think uh, nine of the the top sixteen seeds were eliminated, the ratings were actually uh, held up through that first weekend much better than I thought they would. Uh, at least when uh, when streaming was added in, I, I'm just wondering what your thoughts were, are so far on the uh, on the ratings for the uh, the NCAA tournament. Well, I think the ratings held up well until the Sunday, you know, because the Sunday was really rough. All four windows were down. They had, uh, let me see, how many games did they have on Sunday? They had nine or eight games, and seven of the eight declined. Right. So, you know, that was a bad day. But, uh, and, and frankly, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what you end up with because you, you still have the possibility of Michigan-Duke. Yeah, right. or or Michigan Kansas. There's there's on the uh, on the Duke side. You've got uh, Duke Villanova, Purdue, and Kansas are all still there. Right. On the other side, it's just Michigan. Right. So if you get Michigan Villanova, that could be a good draw. Yep. Michigan Kansas certainly, and Michigan Duke is what the networks want. Uh, so I think that you, you could still end up with a nice big, you know, 2015 style rating. Well, maybe not 2015 style since it's TBS, but yep. you could end up with a big number. At the same time, you know. You uh, do Purdue, have a lot Purdue, of you could get Purdue Loyola Chicago. What happens then? Yeah, exactly. Well, I think if you get Loyola Chicago, that would be a big enough national story that it would help. Maybe yeah. not necessarily against Purdue, though. You know, the, the real danger is if you end up with, with all due respect to Florida State, which is a good team. I have nothing against Florida State. I picked them to beat Gonzaga yesterday. Uh, but, you know, you might end up with FSU against Purdue, which does not have any cachet at all, right. right? And FSU is one of those teams that's a Cinderella, but they're too good to really be a Cinderella, right? Yep. Now, Florida State, it's a big, major conference school. They're never going to be a Cinderella in that way. So, you know, you, you want to avoid that. But we saw last year, you had a bunch of non-traditional teams, but you ended up with UNC Gonzaga, which was as good as you were going to get, and the ratings were pretty good. Uh, as long as you can get, you know, I don't know, maybe uh, – like I said, Michigan Duke, Villanova, Michigan. I mean, it would really have to be Michigan. Although, actually, as I think about it, if you get Loyola Chicago, that would be good too. So Duke Loyola Chicago, that would. Oh, uh, that would. Big. I think. Yeah, that would be certainly on the in the at least on the sports media side, uh, the the news flow would be much greater with uh, with that pairing. I think. Yeah. So I mean, you know, David versus Goliath, and that would be a big, big thing. Even Kansas Loyola Chicago, yep. Villanova Loyola Chicago. Maybe you're getting a little bit more into something that wouldn't draw as well. But there's some real possibilities for good ratings still. We have to see what happens, uh, you know, tonight. Uh, I mean, assuming Clemson and Syracuse don't end up in the Elite Eight, you know. Uh, so, I mean, there's still uh, hope. I think if you're a CBS and Trump. right. So, um, you know, I think you, you put up on your site yesterday that, uh, like, uh, since the All-Star break, maybe, uh, or, or just over the last 10 televised NBA games, nine, nine out of 10 are up versus last year, up, up, up double digits. And after sort of uh, pulling back, uh, you know, sort of after Christmas time a little bit, uh, the, you know, the, the NBA uh, upward versus last year ratings are, are rolling along. Just to overall, what, what are your take on this season's NBA ratings? I think uh, when all is said and done, they're not going to end up with a multi-year high because last uh, 2015-16 had such a strong finish, right? Because Golden State won the 73 games. Yep. I mean, that was like, you know, the dog days of the NBA ended up getting really strong numbers that year because of that. And that's 
on the basis of that final night alone when you had, you know, 6 million people watching Golden State and Kobe at 10.30 at night on a Wednesday in the middle of the week. I mean, that's unbelievable in retrospect. This season's not going to be able to match that. So when all is said and done, you're probably going to be looking at 9 to 10% increase, but a decline from 2015-16, which, I mean, it's not going to look as impressive, but this has been a very strong season for the league. It's been the longest season, obviously, that they've ever had. You had the earlier week, and yet they've managed to sustain over the course of, you know, all of these months, they've managed to sustain a pretty good audience, I think. So the league is definitely in better shape than it was last year when you had to start to wonder what's the future really hold, right? And people have the the whole argument, Golden State and domination and UConn and domination. I think it's pretty clear from the ratings that people want more than one team, right? You know, even if you're talking about a circumstance where, you know, one team is always winning, they at least want a few other teams that, you know, you can watch. And there was only Golden State and Cleveland last year. This year, there's Golden State and Cleveland and Houston and Boston and Oklahoma City and Portland and Toronto, and there's just a million teams that you can be interested in and want to see play. And even though we all know Golden State's going to end up winning the title again, I mean, <laughs> realistically, you know, uh, we don't know that so certainly this time. Last yep. year was boring. It really was. Uh, last year was a season that only a true basketball viewer could love. But if you're a casual fan, I, I mean, look, maybe I'm jinxing it. I think this could be the most interesting playoffs in several years. There's just so many good teams, so much good basketball. If everyone can stay healthy, uh, then I think you're going to be looking at something really strong. So uh, the uh, the new Sunday night baseball booth is uh, going to kick off, I think, uh, next Thursday. Uh, and I don't expect... The, uh, the, the the news of the booth and the booth itself, while it's very interesting to me personally, I don't really expect it to make uh, any difference one way or the other in the ratings. Uh, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it'll make a difference in the ratings, but I do think it'll make a difference in the perception that Sunday Night Baseball is a big event. That was something that they had for a lot of years, that perception that Sunday Night Baseball was a big thing. When you right. had Miller and Morgan, and every every week leading in, they would have their little thing showing, hey, you know, 18, 19, 20 straight seasons on the number one MLB broadcast. It was something a little bit more prestigious, and they they really went away from that a lot with this, you know, constantly changing booth right. every single year with someone different. You you said on Twitter yesterday that Dan Schulman didn't really work on TV, and I thought for, for me yeah. he didn't. For me he didn't. Right. No, and, not- you know Dan. Go ahead. Now, I was just going to say, so I, I I didn't mean to be critical of Dan, but I mean, so, you know, some people really pop on TV and some people really don't. And I, I realize that all those things are subjective uh, for, for me uh, as a as a for a national baseball telecast. Dan did not reel me in. Right. And I mean, I, I, I agree with you to an extent because, you know, Dan Schulman is great. He's a you know, he's a pro. He's, he's excellent at what he does. But he didn't. He had the same issue that Sean McDonough has. Yep. which is that it just did not bring that energy. You know, there's the middle ground between going a little bit too far with it, like Gus Johnson sometimes does, and really almost being a little bit like Joe Buck used to be, where you're a little bit too understated. 
And that can drag a little bit. It can make something that's already a little bit sleepy, like baseball or a horrible NFL game, even more, you know, uh, to that end. So I think Vaskersian, even though Philman is probably the better play-by-play force, I think Vaskersian is going to be someone who brings a little bit more energy. Uh, and I think that that alone will be an improvement because, you know, it's, it's a tough sell getting people on yep. Sunday night when there's all sorts of other programming to watch a regular season baseball game, you know. Uh, baseball's resurgence, by the way, really hasn't necessarily translated to the regular season. You know, October is back. Yep. But, you know, March through September is still something that people really aren't as interested in as they used to be. I'm sure you remember the days when Sunday Night Baseball would get, you know, 4 million viewers, the Red Sox-Yankees. Those days are long gone, at least so far. So, you know, I mean, it's it's a tough sell to get people to stay up on Sunday nights. They might be a little bit more willing, although I doubt it will really have an impact on the ratings, if there's a little bit more of a sense that it's a big event, which I think A-Rod and Basturgeon kind of – a lot more. So I think there might be some improvement. I mean, it, I'm really loath to attribute any increase in ratings to an announcing team, but I think that just the perception of the broadcast has changed because of those additions. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. So uh, I for, I've forgotten the name of the uh, of the new football league that uh, Charlie Ebersol. Say again. The Alliance of American Football. Yes, AAF. So, uh, uh, you know, from, uh, from just from the standpoint of, well, uh, getting, uh, jumping ahead, of, ahead in line in front of, uh, uh, of McMahon and, uh, and his league, uh, XFL, the relaunch of the XFL, just to get in line, maybe for the gambling dollars. That seems like maybe it's a good idea, but, uh, I'm not sure of the rest of it other than I think, uh, relative to the other fringe sports. I think it's likely that people will watch bad football more than, say, PBA. Yeah, I mean, for sure. But at the same time, you know, one, I'm shocked that CBS committed to two primetime games. I guess it really shows you how bad the situation has gotten for for network TV because you're talking about an unproven football league. They have in mind the XFL. Well, what about the UFL? Yep. I mean, it sounds a a heck of a lot more like it's going to be like that. Yep. That's... Saturday, they seem to just kind of assume, oh, well, it's the Saturday after the Super Bowl. What's on? ABC will almost certainly have a big NBA game that night. You know, maybe it'll be Golden State. Like, maybe it'll be Houston. Who knows? But they'll have a big NBA game that night. Uh, you'll have other events like, uh, you know, college basketball on ESPN that people will want to watch more. You yeah. might have a UFC about on Fox. So it's going to be crowded, and I doubt that there's going to be some huge audience tuning in especially without the backing of McMahon, who is his own celebrity, right? Right, right. So, I mean, it's, I mean, I don't know. There's this sense that there's blood in the water from the NFL. But I think, you know, the idea here that there's this, that all the people who tuned out of the NFL are football fans who are just waiting for another football <laughs> league is, you know, a fantasy. You know, so, you know, you bring up the whole thing with the uh, the political aspect, the, the anthem protest and everything, and there's a lot of overthinking that goes into ratings being down, a lot. I'm sure that the politics had some impact because yep. anytime you have, you know, political figures making hay over something. But, you know, the NFL was probably long overdue for ratings to start to drop. Uh, if you look at some of the Super Bowl numbers over the long term, 
even in years when the Super Bowl was hitting a record high, you had erosion in adults 18 to 49 and 18 to 34. And the same thing with the regular season. Even in really strong years, you had these younger demos tuning out. Uh, there was kind of hiding in plain sight a weakening of the NFL audience. And, you know, you might not get those viewers back who age right. out now because yeah. younger people, maybe not, they don't like football as much, right? I mean, so... I think that uh, when it comes down to it, this is, the people who have left the NFL, I don't necessarily know that they are people who are going to come back to football. You right. know, um, I, I think that uh, you might be looking at a circumstance where football is just coming a little bit back down to earth. Not enough that the other leagues can catch it. I'm not one of the people who thinks the NBA can catch the NFL. Right. But, you know, uh, it might be to where the numbers we saw last year end up being the kind of numbers the NFL gets for a long time, which is not the end of the world. Those are still excellent numbers for TV. Yep, I, I completely agree with you on that. Uh, John, you have been uh, following the ratings for longer than I have. Uh, when did you launch SportsMediaWatch.com? 2006. So yeah, so you've been you've been tracking the ratings for at least a year longer than I have. What what's the number one's rating number one ratings related topic uh, that really just irritates the shit out of you? Well, it's got to be the politics. Uh, the you know the whole aspect of attributing ratings declines to you know some kind of concerted you know uh, mass effort to say your politics are not something that we approve of. It's it's irritating to me because. You know, ratings drop for a lot of reasons, and I'm sure that there are people who tuned out of the NFL for political reasons. I'm sure of it, right? right. Anytime you have a decline as significant as what the NFL has experienced, you're going to have some people who are tuning out for reasons other than apathy. But the idea that it's the primary reason to me when there are so many other indications that ratings would drop, the most obvious to me is you're looking at a league that really was not compelling last year, hasn't been compelling the last two years. You lose Peyton Manning uh, the last two years, which people underestimate how significant that is. That's one team taken out, right? So I talked a little bit before about how important it was for the NBA to have all of these teams doing well this year. Last year, you only had two teams that were interested. This year, five, six, seven, eight. In the NFL, you now only have really, what? Well, at least last season, New England. Uh, you know, Green Bay, Dallas, they right. make the playoffs. New yep. York wasn't good at all. Next season might might be a little bit better because you have Philadelphia now, and that's a team that people are going to be interested in. They're yep. the defending camps. They have all these free agents. They have their injured quarterback coming back. They could be a huge team next year. But, you know, the NFL doesn't have the same level of, wow, let me go watch the Saints. Let me go watch San Francisco. Let me go watch, you know, uh, all these other teams that are contending. They may not be Super Bowl uh, teams, but, you know, Baltimore, uh, you know, all of these teams that are contenders and interesting. And the NFL hasn't had that the last couple of years. Right. Right. So, you know, there's so, a uh, – I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to finish by saying – you know, when we talk about the politics, there's so many other reasons why ratings should be down. And beyond that, you know, there are so many other reasons to look at the numbers that the NFL has and yeah. say, wow, this is an enormously popular league at a time when TV ratings are mostly in decline. Some people would say, well, hey, the NBA is doing well, baseball is doing better, you know, you, know, you have other leagues with uh, like college football had a better national championship this year. 
Uh, yes, that's all true. But you also have to point out that baseball is coming off of this horrible stretch where the World Series is at a record low every year. Yeah. The NBA is coming off of its lowest rated season in many years. You know, a lot of leagues are starting to bounce back, but a lot of leagues have had a tough go of it over yeah. the past few years. And I don't see why the NFL should be immune. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. So, I, I, you know, I'm really curious for your thoughts uh, on, uh, on the sort of the, the pursuit of booth talent uh, both uh, at Fox for Thursday Night Football and uh, whatever ESPN will wind up doing uh, for Monday Night Football. And uh, I, I like to come at it this way. Like, if you could program the ideal booth for you, for you to watch Monday Night Football, what would that booth look like? Well, I had some strange ideas. Uh, <laughs> I went out and said on Twitter that I thought they should look at Ryan Ruto. And there were crickets after <laughs> I said that. Nobody agreed. Okay. Uh, I, for whatever reason, I feel like Monday Night Football should have gone really young and new and something we haven't seen in the NFL before. So my thought was maybe Ryan Rucco, uh, Lou Riddick, yep. um, you know, and maybe a third person, a third young analyst, maybe Randy Moss, you know. And to me, that's different. You don't have something like that on any other network. Uh, you know, I, I think that I mean, frankly, my dream scenario, if you put me in the position where I was in control, I would, you know, I would really, really go with a complete overhaul. I mean, personally, I'm not even necessarily sure ESPN should keep using the Monday Night Football music at this point. It's not, it's not ABC's show. Yep. And trying to live up to what ABC did doesn't make any sense. That's long gone. Uh, I think that you know, making it something of their own, you know. Uh, I, I still remember that. Do you remember that old Sunday Night Football theme ESPN used to use with, like, it was the Oh, like what? you talk about the Theismann and Patrick era? Yeah, yeah, like with the sirens. Yep. Remember that? Yep. That was so odd, but it was at least it was something ESPN. It was yep. their own thing. And I think they need to do that with Monday Night Football. Bringing back Hank Williams was so ridiculous. That era is over. Frankly, Hank should never have moved, made the move to ESPN to begin with, that's ABC Sunday Night Football. Are you ready for some football? Is 1996, you know, and they are never going to be able to live up to that because their games aren't as good. Maybe right. if their games were as good and it was still something that people looked forward to every week, fine. But uh, they need to ab abandon, I think, the Monday Night Football legacy a bit because, I mean, the games aren't good enough. It's not the same thing. And the prestige level, it's just not there. So I would say, you know, completely overhaul it and do something where you're maybe doing something a little bit groundbreaking in TV, you have a 33-year-old or however old uh, Ryan Rico is leading your, your, your NFL broadcast. I like it. I like it. So uh, what, what do you, uh, just, a, just a prediction, not a, I, I don't want you to program it. What do you predict will happen uh, as far as Fox's Thursday night football booth? Good question. Let me go on Twitter to make sure Peyton Manning hasn't already decided. Um, <laughs> you know. Go ahead, check. I, I, you know, so I, I don't know. I mean, the Peyton Manning thing, it just seems to me like if Peyton Manning was interested, we would know already. It wouldn't be, well, Peyton's deciding. Peyton doesn't, you know, if Peyton Manning is so unsure on something like this, I don't think he's going to do it. He doesn't have to. Um, but then again, you never know. Um, I, I don't really know what they're going to do. The Jason Witten thing, everyone's trying to get the Romo situation. But CBS is really lucky that the Romo situation worked out the way that it did. 
And frankly, we don't even necessarily know what a second season is going to look like with Tony Romo. Yeah. So you know, going you know going straight from going straight from the playing field to the number one team is a really bizarre thing that I don't think it's wise to try and do again. Uh, I think that that's something where CBS was fortunate; they got the one guy who could do that. Um, I think that you know when all is said and done. Would Jason Witten do it well? Would who, who's the other one? It's Witten and um, who's the other one that, they, that you're talking about for this? Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm oh, sorry. is it Joe Thomas? Yes, yes. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I would want to see someone like that on a number two or number three team for a bit. They have Charles Davis, right? Yeah. I mean, why not just go with Charles Davis and somebody else? Uh, you know, uh, but I, I think that this kind of this new thing where we're trying people straight from this playing field, I think you need at least a year of a buffer, like uh, like Aikman had. I think Aikman was there for a year or two. Yeah, it might have been two. So, you know, I don't, I don't know if I really buy that, but I buy this. If I'm Peyton Manning, there's no way I want to debut, debut right after Tony Romo did what he just did. There's just no right. way that I want to follow that yeah. act. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great point. I mean, that's a tough act to follow. And Peyton is someone who cares a lot about his image, I yep, think. Yeah. Uh, and I think he cares about, you know, I mean, he, he certainly is aware of how entertaining he can be and what his limitations probably are. Uh, so, you know, I think that uh, the money would be a factor, maybe making him do something he doesn't want to otherwise do. But I mean, what's his, you know, other than the money, which he has so much of, what's really the upside for him? I mean, he's Peyton Manning. I mean, you so know, unless but, he just loves, like, to, to have that particular way to stay connected to the game, and uh, I, I'm not any, I don't have any, uh, you know, any sense that that's the case. I, I don't know what's in it for him, unless he's really burning to do it, which I agree with you. If he, if he, he was really burning to do it, I think we'd know that by now. Well, maybe he could do what Kobe does in these uh, weird, strange videos, you know. Oh, he could get his Oscar first? He needs, he needs to. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But no, I, 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 yeah, I, I really just meant not even the Oscar one, but the things he does for the ESPN pregame. Oh, yeah, you've yeah, seen yeah, them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that might be an easier thing for him to do, uh, maybe something that will allow him to have a foot in the door on TV without actually having to go do 11 Thursday night games a year. I mean, you know, Sean McDonough said himself that doing the Monday night football games, they were such poor games that it wasn't fun. I mean, I can't imagine that Thursday night is going to have that much of an improved schedule that those games aren't going to be a bit of a bore. Yep. Yep. I, 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 I agree with you there. So uh, I know that uh, this week I, I jabbed you a little bit on Twitter cause uh, uh, ESPN had successfully trolled you with their, uh, their, their dominant 20, uh, uh, you know, uh, I guess feature piece for the uh, ES 20th anniversary of ESPN, the magazine. And uh, I know what your beef is, but I'm going to let you go ahead and give the rant. What was your rant about? Yeah. That? Well, it's just a completely ridiculous list. Uh, Serena Williams, who is the most dominant, at, Serena and Roger Federer are the most dominant of the last 20 years, I would think. You know, Serena's 12. Roger's, I think, four or five or six. Uh, it was so odd, very bizarre, that they put Lauren Jackson on there. Lauren Jackson, who, if you actually watch the WNBA, you could, I could reel off five or six different players who were more dominant than she is. I mean, probably I could reel off more than 10. You know, I'm not even sure how she made that list. Uh, I mean, well, you know what? Maybe that's a little bit too much. But she's not the most dominant WNBA player, for sure. If you're going to put a WNBA player on that list, very bizarre to put Lauren Jackson there. 
Brady at 20, obviously they're just trying to troll people. Which is so strange because, you know, people in New England already hate them. I don't know why they would need to go and make that, uh, you know, even worse. Um, And so, you know, I don't know. We all remember those horrible ESPN summers of who's now and all that nonsense. And it's just amazing that they're still doing that. Um, So I, I think that when all is said and done, you know, uh, it's just, there were some other odd names on there too. Let me see if I can find it. The dominant 20, um, you know, there was one of the strangest, uh, lists that I've seen the ESPN put out and they had some kind of algorithm or something, some kind of point system yep. to explain why it made any sense. And, it, and that but, explanation you know, did not work even a little bit, even for no. me. No, because look, I'm not one of those people who thinks that NASCAR isn't a sport. I'm not going to disrespect NASCAR fans that way. But Jimmy Johnson at four makes no sense because, you know, so much of Jimmy Johnson's dominance is from this ridiculous point system that nobody likes that NASCAR just decided to put in uh, in 2004. And to the best of my understanding, admittedly as someone who doesn't watch a lot of NASCAR at all, I'm pretty sure a couple of those titles would have gone to Jeff Gordon under the old system. So that doesn't even make sense to me that he's at four. Uh, and, you know, I mean, it, it's just, I'm not going to be upset about people who I don't recognize being on there. I don't want to be one of those people. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, Lauren Jackson and Jimmy Johnson are the ridiculous uh, ones on that list. And, uh, you know, Phelps isn't even on there. So I've, I've, I've reached a point in my life where when the, uh, when the ridiculous trolling list are for stuff that actually doesn't really matter that much. Uh, I let it slide because there's, there's, there's too many realists like that that bother me these days. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of, there's so many things that are bothersome today that, uh, you know, those types of things are almost a joy to be upset about at this point. So, John, you have been doing sort of weekend ratings predictions for some time. Originally, I think you did that on the Sporting News, and now you're doing it on your your website, sportsmediawatch.com, and you do uh, some tweeting about it. What are your uh, ratings predictions for the Elite Eight games on Saturday and Sunday? Well, let me do Saturday only because, I mean, you got to start first. Yep, fair enough. Yep. Sorry about that. Um, no, it's no big deal. As far as Saturday, it'll be really, really interesting. Last year, Gonzaga Xavier was, I think, the lowest-rated Elite Eight game in 20 years. I have to double-check, but it was a, it was a low number. Gonzaga, Gonzaga Xavier did uh, did pretty poorly by uh, historical standards. Right. So that was a 3.7. Now, you know, Loyola Chicago is a great story, but I don't know yet that they can draw on their own. We haven't really seen those numbers. Uh, their last game was up 26% uh, to a 1.7 rating on TNT. Uh, but, you know, UMBC was up 135% to a 2.5 rating the next night. Yeah. So I don't think Royal Chicago is at that level of UMBC. Um, you know, against Kansas State, Kansas State being there is very odd. You know, but, uh, you know, they're not really a team that people care about that much, but they've had three straight games against teams that people do care about. UMBC, right. Kentucky and now Loyola, so people at least should be familiar with them. I think that you should see, I don't know. I mean, Gonzaga Xavier, that 3.7 is a 20-year low, but it's still, to me, a little bit high for a game between Loyola and Kansas State. 
So I think you might actually see a slight decline there. So, you, but, so I mean, you're going to see a 21-year low. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I was way off on the UMBC game last week. I thought it would only have a 1.4. It's much higher than that. So, uh, so, you know, so, 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 John, it, just, so, just, just, just. Yeah. So, so your prediction was way off for the second game or for the UVA game? Oh, for the second game. For the okay, second. Gotcha, game. gotcha. Yeah, against Kansas State. Yeah, that. Uh, game. I thought that was. Correct. Yeah, I was just going to say that that game uh, rated very well on uh, on Sunday night. Yeah. I think it trailed uh, only the. Uh, uh, the Walking Dead on cable. Yeah, it did really, really well. It was a true TV record. Uh, and, you know, I, I thought it was only up a 1.4 rating and it ended up with a 2.5. The national interest in UMBC was much higher than I thought it would be. I haven't seen that evidence yet from Loyola, but, uh, you know, because of that, I'll say 3.5. But I won't be shocked if I'm completely way off and it's like a 4.8, 4.9 or something. Uh, as far as the late game, Michigan, Florida State, you know, that's, interesting. Florida State's been around forever, but they never do anything. So this year is different. They're finally doing something. They're an interesting team. They've got Leonard Hamilton, who just turned 42 the other day, uh, even though he's 69. And they're, you know, they've got this, they're interesting. They've beaten a lot of good teams, but they're still, I don't know, Florida State is basketball. That's a tough sell, I think, for a lot of people, but you never know. Michigan, of course, is Michigan. They'll always draw fairly well, yeah. and that will help. I think that you'll see uh, – last year was a 5.4 for Oregon-Kansas, a decent number. I think maybe 5.7, 5.8, maybe even a 6, yeah. uh, depending on the game. Yeah. That, uh, that, that sounds good. John, thanks very much for joining the podcast. It was a pleasure to talk to you. No problem. Have me on again soon. I will. Thanks again to John Lewis for joining the podcast. You can find his great resource at sportsmediawatch.com. And uh, you can find all the past podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, RSS, and sportstvratings.com. Thanks for listening.